Welcome to Women on the Verge of a Financial Breakthrough, a podcast where we're going to figure out finance one dumb question at a time. I am Caitlin Meredith, a mediator and coach based in the Bay Area, and I'm Sarah Glakus. I'm an investor, advisor, and founder of Black Barn Financial and the Austin Women's Investing Group, which can be found on Meetup. So Sarah and I met when she was my teacher in investing for beginners class at UT. And I was just thinking about it. And it's so funny that I was in in investing. I mean, it's funny for many reasons. I was in an investing for beginners class because I was really a hostile outsider, not a beginner. (laughs) (laughs) But through that class, Sarah opened my eyes to the potential of building a financial future that didn't involve hourly work only. So welcome to our podcast. Hey, before we begin, I just wanted to ask everybody if they could do us a huge favor and share this podcast with three women in your life that need extra support or spunk or information to help them plan their financial futures. That would be a huge help to us. And also, if you could rate this podcast wherever you listen. Thank you so much. Okay, Sarah, today we're talking about something that I have a lot of feelings about. And most of the people I know that have kids also have a lot of feelings and questions about, which is, what the fuck are we supposed to do to send our kids to college? Like, are we supposed to be saving that money now? They're so young, or they're not so young. And there's so many rumors, like, don't start a special account, because then they won't qualify for financial aid. Or if you haven't already started accounts for all your kids, you'll never be able to afford to send them to college. There's a lot of panic inducing information that I'm familiar with. But I feel like maybe I need a soothing plan. And you have some ideas about this. Yeah, I have some ideas, but I just want to ask a question to you. I'm going to push this back to you because I have a question. What do you think people's expectations are around paying for college? Should people be paying for college like no questions asked? Oh, that's such a good question. And I feel like I just had this glimpse of a conversation we've had before. I think for people that are in the middle class, all I can speak to is the bubble that I'm into. And I think there is an expectation that like a responsible financial plan for you and your family is that the parents would pay for college or that's like, I guess it is a built in assumption. And so I think In my world, the expectation is that that would be a good thing to do. Whether or not we can pull it off is another one. But that it's like, yeah, you pay for your kids' braces, you pay for their college, etc. I don't know how much that's questioned. But that could be a real indication of the bubble that I live in. Instead of, I mean, it's just not possible for most families, especially with where college tuition is right now. Yeah, I think most people come in kind of in the same bubble, right? That, oh, you don't really stop to question what your obligation is as a parent to paying for college. Most of us have like the story that we grew up with, 
right? So your personal view will probably be colored by what your parents did for you. Maybe not. But I think that people stopping to think about what you're willing to do and what you're realistically able to do when it comes to college, I think is a really good exercise to go through because there's a lot of room between I'm not contributing $1 to this and I'm committing to paying for four years at Harvard and then another three years at Yale Law School and whatever the kid wants I will make sure she can go to whatever school she wants in whatever circumstances I'm in. So there's a lot of room between those two extremes, right? Yeah. And obviously depends on the kind of kid. I mean, obviously your kid is super smart. So like Harvard, (laughs) Yale, it's like obvious plan. (laughs) Um, Obviously. uh, Yeah. But I'm also, as you were talking, realized another influence, I think it's absolutely what you grew up with, what was normal, but also in the time since those of us living with student loans A reality that our parents never experienced is living with a loan from that early on for what feels like the rest of your life. And so I think that has to influence it, too, that like if you feel like that's been a drag on your life or that made you have to make decisions about choices that you needed to make for financial reasons when you were really young that you wouldn't have otherwise without those loans, you might want to make it so your kids weren't so hemmed in by owing all that money so early in their careers. Yeah, I can totally see that. I mean, I think as this conversation goes along, I would push back on that and say that if you were financially hamstrung by student loans, you are not going to become less financially hamstrung by assuming all of the educational costs for your child. You're not really putting yourself in a position to make up for that lost time that you had. And one of the other sayings that we have in the biz, we have in the industry, is <laughs> you can always borrow for college, you can't borrow for retirement. So that idea of oh, student yeah. loans being a debt that you can incur, or a kid could incur and pay off over 25 or 30 year career is possible. Yeah. Um, but it's nearly impossible to take on that burden as a parent and have enough money to have the retirement that you want. So you're kind of giving a gift, but then you're taking it back on the other end of (laughs) like like, not being financially secure. The good news is you get a free ride. The bad news is in about 20 or 30 years, you have to completely support me in my (laughs) lifestyle. So you're welcome. Yes. So our conversation has to be what happens in that middle area. But I have to say, as someone with now a seven-year-old, it's very confusing to me the idea that I'm supposed to start a college savings account for her when I'm paying my freaking student my own student loans for the rest of my life like wait me first it is very confusing the idea that I would be starting a savings account for her to pay college and before I've even paid off my own so I would love to hear about this middle ground about what we're supposed to do and we talked about debt in the last episode actually So this is another idea of when we take on that debt, how we decide about where our savings goes and how we get a realistic picture for not just what we want, but what we can afford now and later. Yeah, maybe I can talk about a couple different strategies that I think have been effective in talking to people. The most basic one is kind of continuing along this line. 
If you divide your financial goals up into short-term, medium-term, and long-term goals, retirement is typically people's long-term goal, right? Like, I want to be financially secure by age 65. It's As we've talked about in our other podcasts, you can do the time value of money calculation to figure out, okay, I need this much in retirement accounts in order to supplement my income through my whole retirement. So you can go through that exercise. You can do the same thing with your medium-term goals. So your daughter's seven, mine is about to turn 10, and then I have another one who's five. So you can figure out, okay, how many years do I have until these kids go to college? And that's the number of years you have to grow the money. I like to start with, or I shouldn't, like people come into my office and often start with, what would it take to pay for four years of college, right? So we're in Austin. So what would four years at UT Austin look like in 10 years when Sash goes to college or 13 years when Judy goes to college? And so you can, I know Judy at college is going to be hilarious if she's not a podcaster by then. (laughs) And so you can figure out like, okay, if UT full-time paying for room and board, I think if you just go to their website, it estimates it'll cost $26,000 per year for one year of school today and today's dollars. And then you have to go in and figure out like, okay, well, if those expenses go up by five or 6% per year, what will it cost in 10 years? Maybe it'll be double. Maybe it'll be a little bit less than double, a little bit more than double. But that gives you kind of the target amount that you should be shooting for. And then again, using the time value of money exercises, you can back into, okay, well, how much do I need to save each month to get to that amount where my spouse and I, or my parents and I, or my community and I need to save this much money every month or every year in order to save enough to give ourselves a good chance of being able to put this child through four years of public university. Does that make sense so far? Yeah, it makes sense. It makes me nervous because then I'm thinking like, okay, but what about my retirement goals and funding that and my emergency savings? So clearly you're talking about like, this is what it would take. I'd have to put $400 a month into that account. It doesn't necessarily mean I could do it. It's just, if that was my goal, this is what I would need to do. Right. I think you put numbers to the goal. Yeah. And then you have a look with very clear eyes at whether you can afford it. And whether it means sacrificing something, either in the short term, do you have a smaller safety net, high yield savings account, (laughs) right? Or do you have a smaller retirement? Do you work a few more years? Something's got to give. Everybody has finite resources that they're trying to allocate. Most people do not get to have all of those things. They don't get to have the fully funded high yield savings account and fully funded education accounts for their kids, and a fully funded retirement account. You almost always have to choose what your highest priority is. And so kind of this assumption that it is everyone's duty to do whatever they can to put their kids through college, I think is starting with the wrong assumption on the very front end. And instead, reframing it and saying, okay, what do I think is realistic for my child and what is realistic for me? And coming up with some sort of compromise maybe would help people feel better about this daunting goal of, oh, I have to pay for all of this college. It's like, you don't, you don't have to. And 
there are other options if you don't pay for it. There are other options to make it happen. And being realistic about those things, I think, puts more power in the hands of the parent. One of the things that you've mentioned before that I thought was such a useful Everything you mention is useful and I think about for years, but in this realm of college savings, one is that comparison between like, oh yeah, amazing to give them a college education and whoops, that means I don't start saving really for retirement until it's too late for me to take advantage of all these doubling cycles from compounding interest. And so what seems like a gift actually then becomes like a huge burden for them later in their life and your life. So that's the first framework that's like, oh shit, this is really the same as the airplane put your... Your oxygen mask? oxygen mask on before your kids because they're going to feel the consequences of that if you're incapacitated by your lack of financial resources later in your life that's going to impact them in most cases so that's the first framework that was really helpful for me to think about it the other is that just because you're saying i'm not going to give you a free ride doesn't mean that if they do take out loans, you can't help them pay back those loans if you're in a space to do that in 20 years when they're in college or whenever that is. Will you talk about that setup where the assumption is my kids are going to have to take out student loans because I can't afford to save for my retirement and their college right now. But once they graduate college, I can contribute then. What does that look like? Yes, I absolutely love that option. I'm so glad you brought that up because that's one of my favorite ways of looking at it. Instead of starting with the assumption that I need to have all of the money I might possibly need to pay for all of my kids' school by the time they might start at age 18 or 19, instead reframing it and thinking, okay, what if you agreed with your child that when they graduate and have a diploma in their hand, and add up all of the student loans that they've taken out to reach that achievement? What if at that point in time, you are in a stronger financial position and you can give a gift from the position of strength instead of weakness? And from a position of strength, you can say, oh, you know what? I actually did a really good job funding my retirement and now I'm on track and I can help you pay down these loans over some period of time, you know, either in chunks Maybe you throw a big chunk and pay off a loan, or you contribute $200 a month and help your child pay back the loans. But you're making that decision from this place of strength and safety and well-being after doing the calculations. And you get an extra four or five years of compounding while your kid's in college. And you're giving this gift after they have made it through college and actually gotten that diploma and they had skin in the game and now you can help them pay off the debts they incurred to get to that position. So maybe they're not in such a bad financial position going into their first career or their first 10 years of their career. They have you as a financial safety net, but they see it, right? They're part of the process. And again, it's like that idea of doing these calculations and figuring out what you can afford and not making the decision to spend the money until you know you can afford it. I think most people approach it from the opposite way. They say, I can't afford it, but I'm going to make it happen. And then you end up with parents signing for student loans that they can't pay back. And it all goes downhill from there because the parents don't have 
the time needed or the income potential if they're getting closer to retirement, right? They don't have the income potential to pay those loans back. There's a crisis of student loans, but a lot of those student loans are held by parents. Oh my God. I never thought about it that, I mean, it totally makes sense to me that by leveraging your own resources at that point, you really get deeper in a hole, whereas your kid's time horizon is much longer than your own to be earning money and distributing that over their future life is very different than you doing it in the last years you'll be working and earning. Yeah. Now I'm like, why would any idiot save for college then? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you can still save for college. The pendulum has swung, people. (laughs) Okay. Tell me about the 529s. Can you dispel the rumor? Like, if you have one for your kid, does it mean they won't get financial aid? Tell me, what is Sarah's skinny on 529s? Is that even the name for it? It is. So the most well-known education plan is a 529. And so the idea is you put money, someone puts contributions into this 529 plan. It goes in post-tax, much like a Roth IRA. So someone earns the money, someone pays taxes on the money, and then they make this contribution to a 529. Okay. Uh, Then you invest it and you try to grow it over some period of time. And when the money comes out of the account, it comes out tax-free as long as it comes out for educational expenses. Okay. So the benefit of the 529 is that if you put in $5,000 and you grow that to $15,000, you can take the $15,000 out for qualified educational expenses. So all the growth comes out tax-free. So what is the difference then between a 529 and a Roth? Why not just do a Roth so you don't have the rules about what you can use it for? Yeah. So there's on the 529, there's no income limits like there are for a Roth IRA. So any person at any income level can make contributions to a 529. It's not unlimited amounts of contributions, but your contribution limit is a lot higher than it is with a Roth IRA. So you can get more money into the 529 than you might be able to get into a Roth IRA. So if you qualify for a Roth, meaning your income is in the income bracket that qualifies for a Roth, you can max that out and it would have the same tax advantages, but not be bookmarked only for educational expenses when it comes out the other side. What if your kid decides not to go to college or does some other pisses you off? (laughs) (laughs) What happens to that money in the 529? Yeah, I mean, that's the downside of the 529 is when it goes into the 529. If it comes out for something other than qualified educational expenses, you owe taxes on the growth and a 10% penalty. So there are strings attached to this 529 plan. Some people like to have all of these dollars that they're saving earmarked for education, very clearly delineated for education, and it has the kid's name on it. They're listed as the beneficiary. Some people, that's just how their brain works. I would invite people to consider that maybe you don't necessarily want to overfund a 529 because you don't want, like, what if there is money left over? Yeah. Um, To get around that, there are a couple things you can do. You can change the beneficiary of a 529 to a whole bunch of different people. So if I have a 529 for Sasha and she doesn't use the whole thing, I can change the beneficiary to Judy and use it for her when she goes to college. And I can change the beneficiary to a whole bunch of different people. Like there's a lot of different relatives that you can change the beneficiary to. You can even change it to yourself if you want to change it to yourself and use it for your own. I don't know. 
postgraduate education. Yeah. That's what I need. Another <laughs> master's degree. That's right. I'll show my daughter. Okay. So if you qualify for a Roth, I'm still not... Oh, okay. You can put a lot more into the 529, but that's still a lot more money that then has to be used only in this one specific way. Granted, there's other beneficiaries. Right. I mean, so what I like to do when I'm thinking about college, either for myself or for other people, is I try to think of all of the sources of money to pay for tuition when that time comes. I even do like a little Excel spreadsheet that has each year, and I can see the year that Sasha's probably going to start college and probably going to finish, the year that Judy's probably going to start and probably going to finish. And I think about all of the places where I could get money if I decided that I was going to put my own resources or how much of my own resources I was going to put towards college. Girls, don't count on it. I know. This is a moving target. There are lots of strings attached to mom's money. But you have money that you previously saved in a 529 plan, right? So that's one source. Okay. You have, you can take withdrawals from your retirement account penalty-free. They're not necessarily tax-free. If it comes out of your 401k or your traditional IRA, you'll still have to pay taxes on the distribution, but you won't have to pay the 10% penalty if you're not yet 59 and a half. I don't think I'll be 59 and a half when Sasha goes to college. So that could be another source. You could say, oh, hey, my retirement accounts are actually bigger than maybe they need to be. I can make a $20,000 withdrawal and send it to UT Harvard. or Rice or Harvard or wherever, whatever hippie school she chooses, and you know, just send it right to the bank. So you have 529s, retirement accounts, any other like brokerage account that's hanging out there. Another kind of decent source, if you're really committed to paying for college, is maybe you have equity in your home and you can get a pretty cheap home equity line of credit. I don't Ooh. love that for like over committing to that because you don't really want to put your house at risk in order to send your kids through college. But for those of us who live in Austin and maybe have a ton of equity at our home, maybe it's a pretty good place to pull tens of thousands of dollars out of your home. And then for a lot of us, we're still going to be earning money. We're still going to be working. Right. So there's probably some chunk of savings that could be diverted. And instead of going into that 529, if you have been making contributions into a 529 and you have that line item in your budget, Instead of sending it to the 529 when the kid is 18, 19, 20, 21, you just send it to the college, right? It's still coming out. Yeah. And so then there are other sources, like some people have family gifts, which is wonderful, right? Take all the family gifts. One of the other benefits of the 529 is that other people can put money in the 529. So this is wonderful for grandparents, right? Okay. Have the grandparent send hundred dollars or a thousand dollars to the kids 529 they will feel really good because that money is now earmarked for the kid and you're not like oh just send you it to get me your rubby hands on it okay <laughs> right. yeah we want a new kitchen right pretty much anyone can send money to the 529 as a gift so that's really nice but there's kind of all of these other sources that you can start thinking a little bit creatively about all right like when it's all said and done and 10 years from now ut costs a year. Where does that $39,000 a year come from? And then whatever you don't have and whatever you can't afford, that's when you go down to the financial aid office and figure out what student loans look like. So that's kind of how I think about all of the tools that you have in your toolbox 
to participate in the funding of your kid's college education, I think without overextending yourself. Can you speak to the rumor, myth, fact, question about whether if there is a 529 in your kid's name, they have to declare it, right, on their FAFSA, on their financial aid application? Do you have any idea if that means that they're less likely to receive financial aid or? This is definitely like check with a financial aid expert. I know the basics. The basics are if your kid owns property, if your child has property, which might happen because a well-meaning, yes, a well-meaning grandparent or a well-meaning parent says, I'm going to put $20,000 into a UTMA account, a Uniform Transfer to Minors Act account. And when your child reaches the age of majority, in most states it's 18, and in Texas it's 21, when your kid reaches the age of majority, they get that property. It's theirs. Oh, I thought it meant like a house. You mean like just an asset of right. some Any sort asset, that is right. worth yeah, money? Yeah. Okay. I meant like property, like like an asset. I was like, oh yeah, my kid's not going to have a house by then. <laughs> <laughs> not my problem. Okay, got it. But like, some bank account, some yes. something that's worth money. Yes. They'll have to declare that. Yeah. Yes. If it's in the kid's name, the financial aid people assume that all of the money that your kid has can be earmarked for college. Like, maybe it's not 100%, but it's a very high percentage, right? Like, all of the money that your kids own in their own name will be a ding for financial aid, right? Because the financial aid office is going to be like, "Uh, you have $100,000 over there. And the kid will be like, well, but that was a gift for my grandparents. They don't want me to use it for college. And they're going to be like, no, you could if you wanted to. So they're going to act like it could be used. So that means you don't, the kid doesn't want to have property or assets in his or her own name. The other thing that financial aid looks at is gifts received from non-parents. So this again is like well-meaning grandparents who send money to pay for college. Financial aid will be keeping track of that and assuming that that money is going to keep coming. How do they find out about that? I'm not saying like Therefore, now I can hide it, but not necessarily saying that. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's why you fill out a FAFSA, right? FAFSA asks you, like, did you receive a check from your grandparents? I think so. And I actually haven't looked at the FAFSA recently, but there's a way for like, you have to give, you have to give them an idea of your financial picture. So if, if your kid receives money, receives gifts or has assets in their name, it's going to count against them for what they qualify for, for financial aid. With parents, it's a little bit different, right? If a parent owns accounts, then there's kind of, a, I think, like a somewhat complicated calculation. It's probably simple to other people, but it's complicated to me, where they're like, well, okay, we're just going to assume that some of this money is available for you to pitch in towards college, but not all of it. It's kind of a function of how much you make, how much you have. If it's in a retirement account, it's sheltered. If you have other kids. So there's a way for them to figure out, like, what can the family afford to put towards college? And where does the 529 fit into all this? So the 529 is, when you set up a 529, there's an owner. It's typically the parent. It doesn't have to be the parent, but it's typically the parent. And the child is the beneficiary. So then... If the child's just a beneficiary and not the owner, the account is not the child's account. It's the parent's account. They still have control of it, and they can still pull the purse strings on it. So it goes okay. in the parent's 
inventory of property. And so therefore, it's counted less towards what is available from a financial aid perspective. Okay, less than if it was in the kid's name. Yeah. And I will say, Caitlin, this is probably like for next season, like we should bring in like a FASA expert to talk through all this for sure. Because the deeper we get in, the less I'm going to know definitively. Sarah, I just can't believe that. (laughs) I refuse. You were the all-knowing for me. Okay. But just to double back to the Roth, if a Roth is in a parent's name, it is also sheltered because that's considered a retirement account or maybe not? Yes. I mean, so it's a parent's account, definitely. And I don't know if it's 100% sheltered or like 95% sheltered, right? Like it doesn't show up as available to use for college because it's a retirement account. It's actually not available until you turn 59 and a half. So it's kind of set aside, I believe. And I can't, and I don't remember if it's like totally set aside or just mostly set aside when they're okay. doing that calculation of what is available, what resources are available for the child when it comes to financial aid. If parents can totally parent or parents are making the caretakers are making enough money i'm just curious to save for everything like their high income do you think they should pay for their whole kids college education man i don't i don't know if i would i don't know if i would say that about anyone right like whether they should or not i personally think that the kid going to college needs to have skin in the game they need to understand how valuable this thing is that someone is helping them with or not helping them with. I don't necessarily think it works to anyone's advantage for a kid to not understand how much things cost, especially when it comes to college and be totally sheltered from that. I also think that this idea around how much college costs and what happens after college is an amazing opportunity to talk to kids about money and investing and spending decisions. Instead of being like, I'm just going to take care of it. I am here to just write the checks. I just think like regardless of income level, it's an amazing opportunity to, I don't know, to introduce the concept of finite resources and not pretend like you have infinite resources. So I don't know. I mean, every family has their own money values. And so my money values would be doing a cost benefit analysis and setting some expectations with my kid If they're going to go to college, I mean, we're going to have to do the best we can to make sure they graduate from college. I think that's the other trap that I would at all cost try to prevent is going to college and not finishing because then you have all the debt and none of the benefit, right? You don't get the benefit until you have a degree. So what can you do to get your kid a degree and to get something finished? Maybe it's community college credits while they're still in high school. Maybe it's taking a gap year and letting them grow up a little bit more before they shoot off into the college system. Maybe it's understanding how much things cost and the sacrifice people are making to send you to college. Or maybe it's seeing what the cost is and committing to it yourself by taking out student loans. There's just so many opportunities for there to be a discussion that I would invite people to trust their kids enough to have those discussions. If they're not mature enough to have a discussion about money, it's tough to, I don't conclude that they're mature enough to be in college on their own, right? Because they're like mini grownups at that point. But this is me bringing in my own feelings <laughs> about money. I would never push this on someone else. It's, no, it's of course. how I feel about it. But I think it's so 
I am just noticing in myself these competing instincts. One is like full on shelter, do whatever I can to protect my kid from the realities of. And then here we are making a podcast because I never got this education, not blaming my parents at all, but like I got a certain level of sheltered that meant that later in life, I've had to learn this stuff. And I think about what would have been different if I came out of college with a much stronger understanding of cause and effect and money in, money out, interest rates, all of that stuff. So it's interesting that I'm like, have this knee jerk reaction, like, no, of course I'm going to pay for the cost. And then the other, which is, oh my God, the sooner my daughter understands all of this, she'll be so much better positioned to build her financial future. So why wouldn't I want to make this part of that lesson? And I like this idea of the spectrum between the black and white, like, nope, you're on your own, you figure it out, which of course is a reality for many working families who just do not have the extra income who are supporting family in other countries or here. All of our financial realities are really different. And so within each of those frameworks to have choices that if you can't afford it now, If you prioritize your own retirement, your own investing for a year later in life, it doesn't mean that you can't help your kid later when they're starting out their adult life. And as you say, coming from that position of strength rather than like, I commit it. It reminds me of people that like say they'll pay for their kid's wedding or something and then fifty, seventy thousand dollars later. Right. (laughs) Oh shit. Um, (laughs) and college is much longer as four years and there's so much that's involved in that. So I guess you're saying we don't have to get a four twenty nine. That's one tool. But I also feel like I've heard you say like, oh just get oh definitely don't get a four (laughs) twenty nine. Nobody knows what a 429 is. <laughs> don't. Do not sign don't up for that. Don't get one. <laughs> 529. <laughs> I feel like I've also heard you say, like, even if you're not going to fully fund it, like, just open one and throw something in there. Yeah. I do think that exercising that muscle, even if it's $50 a year or $50 a month, having something in a 529, if you want to be able to help even a little bit with college, which most people do, right? So I would say open the 529. First, to exercise your own muscle, like add that to the savings. You have your retirement savings, and then you find a couple extra bucks to throw at the 529 or however much you want to go into the 529 to end up with the end amount you want to end up with. And also because it's a great place for gifts to go. So when grandparents or aunts and uncles or people who want to help and give your kid gifts, yeah, they don't want it to go into your checking account. Like when the baby is born... They want to help pay for college. They want it to go into a college account, right? They don't want it to go into your Roth IRA or anything with your name on it. They want it to go into an account with the baby's name on it. So just having that account open, you can say like, oh, that is so generous. Thank you so much. Here's the address for Vanguard or Fidelity or wherever you have your 529 plan. You can send the check right there. It is so appreciated. And it's like a dumping ground for all of those wonderful gifts that your generous relatives will want to give your gorgeous child. Yeah, of course. And are we thinking there's a benefit to having it be in your name versus another family, you know, grandparents name, like a grandparent starting it versus you? Is that above your financial aid knowledge? Well, this comes back to that idea that if your kid is getting gifts from grandparents freshman year, 
that's going to show up on the FAFSA and will affect their financial aid. So it's back to like that disclosure that you provide. If the school got a check from grandma and grandpa freshman year, they know that grandma and grandpa gave the gift. So your financial aid will probably be reduced by that amount sophomore year. Okay. Uh, So for grandparents who really want the 529 to be owned by the grandparent with the grandchild as the beneficiary, please get with the parent's planner because what you typically want to see is you don't want those gifts to come from the grandparent until senior year right so that it doesn't show up the following year you want them to be back loaded instead of front loaded so it doesn't muck up the financial aid package if you're applying for financial aid using the fafsa so if that's a concern you do want to do some planning i don't know i like if there's a choice i think it's better for the parents to be the owner and the grandparents to contribute the gifts to the parents' account with the beneficiary, with the child being the beneficiary. But sometimes grandparents like to keep control of those things. Or the grandparents are the primary caretakers. Too. Absolutely. And right. then yes. they would qualify under that. Okay. But I just want to make sure you're going to put a seal of approval. For those of us who are freelancers and who are not going to be able to fully fund all these things, if I'm like, hey, I can fully fund my Roth and I can throw 50 bucks a month or whatever a year into 429, the Roth 529. will give me... 529. <laughs> <laughs> and I can put 50 bucks a month into my the 529. That Roth still gives me the flexibility to contribute... But if things change, I still have that money that I can use for my retirement or something else, and it's not bookmarked. So that's still an okay plan. Yes. I mean, that's a great plan. Even if you just contribute to a Roth IRA, again, like if you get to the date when your kid is in college, you can take a distribution from your Roth IRA and not pay a penalty on it. And maybe be able to back some of that money out to pay for tuition. It's you'll have to read the IRS rules because you'll want to do it in the right way and the right order to minimize taxes you might pay on it. But again, it's like this idea of like being able to look at your financial picture when your kid is in college and being able to say, oh, my gosh, I can afford to help more than I thought I was going to be able to. So I am cutting this check to the school from a position of strength versus just like crossing my fingers and hoping this all works out after the four or five years when these kids are in college. Okay. And the last thing I want to just reiterate is I remember you telling me about a client that came in that's like, okay, we've paid for our kids' college. Now we need to save for retirement. And that that is just almost an impossible thing to do, like giving that chunk of money because of a promise earlier or whatever and the lack of ability to be like, hey, I know we promised this, but this can't happen, that there's no amount of money that can compensate for the time that someone would lose by paying for their kid's college instead of that money going into their retirement account. Yes, like these are the exact scenarios that like keep me up at night. And it's why I don't want people to sleepwalk through this decision, right? And say, well, I guess people just pay for college and their kids pick a college and then you pay for the college and then you just, you know, that that is the path that you have to take. Because if that's the case, that maybe you're barely making ends meet, you're not saving a lot for retirement when your kids are small, then they go to college and you're just killing yourself to save and pay for college. And then you're 50 and your kids are out of college and they're launched, 
if you're starting your savings for retirement, then just think like, okay, maybe you have 10 or 15 years. And what we've already talked about a bunch of times is like the stock market is expected to double every seven to 10 years. A 15 year doubling cycle, you might only get two doubling cycles. If you're starting from zero or you're starting from a very small amount, the amount that you need to save, right, to put into that retirement account is so huge. Like your savings rate has to be so big to get to the amount that you need to be financially secure. It is super painful. I mean, sometimes the calculations are, okay, you need to save 50% of your paycheck, like 50, (laughs) right? Not 15, (laughs) five zero. Right. And sometimes it's more depending on how risk averse you are, because you're in your 50s. You're not that far away from retirement. So the numbers get super duper tight. And this is like a middle class problem, right? That somehow there's this expectation that we pay for college, but we're not rich. Like we don't have excess resources. (laughs) You quite literally cannot afford it if you want your retirement to look the way you think you want it to. So doing the planning and talking with your partner, if you have a partner, a lot of people don't ever have this conversation. Like, what are our expectations around college, right? Are we gonna pay for everything? Well, yeah, we're gonna pay for everything because my parents paid for everything. Are we gonna pay for nothing? Yeah, we're not gonna pay for anything. My parents didn't pay for anything, right? (laughs) People don't have the conversation. And so that's how you end up kind of sleepwalking through the decision-making. And it doesn't have to be that way. Like you can come up with a consensus, you can come up with a compromise, and you can come up with a plan. It is better to do it sooner rather than later. I think there's way more flexibility around the decision making than people think there is. This is so much to digest. (laughs) I'm trying to make it easier. Did I make it way harder? No. Thank you so much. There is so much here. Just the idea, my take home is, A, we have to think about it now, even though our kids are so young, we can't even imagine like... They're barely wiping their butts. It's very hard to imagine them later in college or they're already teenagers. And that's the time to have a real realistic conversation about what your finances are, what your capabilities are and what their expectations should be for going into college and that we have a bunch of options. And it's not just this either or like I feel like the pit in your stomach every month when you realize like, oh, my God, I haven't done anything about college savings yet, that that's not the whole story and that you can start to day and there's a bunch of options no matter where you are can i add one more thing like for the grandparents out there if you're a grandparent and you are in a financial position to pay for your grandchild's college or some of it please tell your children that that is going to happen and be specific about the amounts pretty often it's not unheard of for people to come into my office and say well my parents have like vaguely mentioned that they will help with college. Saying that is not helpful. It's not specific (laughs) enough. Like, does it mean you're going to pay for books? Or does it mean like, you're going to send checks to the college? Be specific. Like, we have $100,000 set aside for Sasha. And it is there for her if she wants to use it for college. Like, be specific. Because otherwise, like we're doing here, the parents are freaking out. And they're trying to make these very important planning decisions. And so if you are a grandparent or an aunt or uncle or someone who is in the financial position to help the kid, please tell the parent ahead of time and be as specific as you can be. Because if the parents spend 
18 years just like grinding and saving and trying to build that 529 and then you show up at age 18 and you're like to dog i'm gonna pay for it all right <laughs> it's a wonderful gift and very generous but you could have saved people a lot of tears by just laying out some of your intentions earlier than that so yeah and then this fully funded 529 that can't be used yes for other things they're like everyone in this family <laughs> needs a master's degree we put all of our money into it we're all going back to school right so if you are in that position that is so awesome congratulations to you please yeah. share that generosity sooner rather than later it's because it's all part of the process if it takes a village to educate these kids be proactive with what that means i would say because it's really helpful in the decision making process and the planning process and where does money go where does money go and also in the parents sort of like triggering a conversation about what it's going to look like earlier rather than later yeah and i think developing that plan about how you talk about it with your kid too in the strings attached that would come with all of that great idea okay thank you so much sarah thanks caitlin okay sarah what is one thing a woman on the verge of a financial breakthrough can do today if you have kids or if you have nieces, nephews, people in your life that you want to help with their college education, what's something you can do today to bring that financial plan to reality? Yeah, so I think that there's so much discussion around how much college costs and so few people go to the college's website to look at how much it actually costs. <laughs> it's like, it's I just don't know. a lot. We it's, know it's a lot. And it's, it's a more. lot. Right. And sometimes it is a lot. So I would say just to start putting some of these numbers into context, whatever state you live in, check out like whatever like the flagship public university is. So in Texas, it's UT Austin, but there's lots of different public universities. You can check out whatever one you prefer and go find out how much full time tuition and room and board costs. So at UT, as of 2021, it was about $26,000. That is a good number to know. When someone asks you, well, how much does college cost? Now you know, hey, UT will probably cost about $26,000 this year. So you can start there and then using your handy dandy time value of money calculator, assume that college expenses are going to go up by about 5% per year, maybe six, and figure out, okay, well, how much will UT cost in 2032 by using that time value of money calculator. So you know the target that you're shooting for, and you're not just freaking out about invented numbers without just put a number to the concern. So I would say just Google it, find out what kind of numbers we're actually thinking about. And that way you can start putting some of this planning into context and start putting a real plan together instead of just suffering in silence without knowing what you're actually planning for. I'm just so used to feeling terrified and panicked about it all the time. It's, <laughs> it's comforting. <laughs> it's comforting. <laughs> it's just the routine. But okay, you say information. I get it. Okay, good place to start. Thank you so much. Thank you, Caitlin. Hey, do you have any dumb questions about finance or investing? 
send them to us at our website, womenontheverge.com. Hey, so many thank yous to Kelly West, a woman on the verge in her own right, who took the amazing photos for our album art and website, helped with our website design, music, audio editing, cheerleading, mental health, everything. Emily Kleinsorgi, our stylist that did our hair and makeup for our photos from Lucy Skyrocket. Lauren Gross and Taylor Gross, who helped us with our graphic design. And our music is by Bad Bad Hats in Devmo. If your partner is making you ask for money, giving you an allowance, taking your money, or not letting you know about or have access to family income, this could be economic abuse. Learn more at thehotline.org or call 1-800-799-SAFE. So Sarah, because you're a financial professional, we have to read a disclaimer for this podcast. I would actually really love it if you could read the disclaimer in your best legal voice. Okay, doing it. This podcast contains general information that is not suitable for everyone. The information contained herein should not be construed as personalized investment advice. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. There is no guarantee that the views and opinions expressed in this podcast will come to pass. Investing in the stock market involves gains and losses and may not be suitable for all investors. Information presented herein is subject to change without notice and should not be considered as a solicitation to buy or sell any security. I know the first thing you notice is that I'm covered in gold. The trip of the wrist, it can turn a hot bitch cold. To get what you want in life, girl, you gotta be bold. Now I'm a direct. And I know a fistful of money.